Wow, I think that might have been our first applause for our intro video into our series. So you could tell that was a great intro video. And hello, everybody. So if you're new with us, my name is Trent. I'm one of the pastors here. And whether you're new on campus or you're new joining us online, you came on a great Sunday because we're starting a new series called My Church. And to set up this series, I have an interesting question to ask you. So my question is this. How many of you have ever had a bad church experience? So if you would hold your hand up high for just a minute, hold it up high, and now let's all look around. There are a whole lot of hands held up. And if you're watching online, maybe your hand is up and and you're feeling a little bit weird watching your computer with your hand held up. Um, But you need to know here on campus, there are a lot of hands that are held up. A lot of people have had bad church experiences, myself included. So I want to share a few of my experiences with you, and uh, that'll kind of set up what we're going to talk about today. So I'm going to give you a few weird experiences, and then I'm going to give you a few bad experiences. So years ago, my wife and I went to a church where the pastor was super excited and passionate and charismatic in his preaching style to the point that he would run back and forth on the stage, jumping, and the more he jumped, he would shout, and the louder he shouted, the more excited he got, and then he jumped off the stage, and he ran up and down the aisle, shouting his message to us. And I thought, man, this guy's gonna kick somebody in the head, like this is like, you know, church workout service. Like, like it was, for me, a little bit weird. Maybe you grew up in that church experience, I didn't, And so it was a little bit weird for me. Uh, I grew up around some church circles that wanted to be very welcoming to new people in their church. And so what they would do was during the service, the pastor would pause and say, hey, I would like to acknowledge anybody that's new with us today. So if you're new, would you please stand, introduce yourself, and tell us your deepest, darkest secret? All right, he wouldn't say that last part, but it felt a little bit like that. And, you know, I, I kind of grew up in that world, so it wasn't that big of a deal until I was a guest in another church. And I'm like, well, I'm not standing up. So Tammy would elbow me and say, like, hey, like, we're new. Stand up. I'm like, I'm not standing up. I, I don't want to acknowledge myself. Like, I don't want anybody to know that I'm new, and I don't even know if I want anybody to know that I'm here. So I, I was real careful about that. Then we went to another church that kind of flipped the script on that. They were a little bit more affirming of new people. And so they said, you know what? If you're new, stay seated. The rest of us will stand and we'll greet you. And so that was an interesting experience. Like you were the ones seated with everybody standing over you and welcoming you to church. You know, I was glad they were welcoming us to church, but it felt a little bit weird. One church gave out giant Hershey bars for new people. Well, you know what? I was new each week. It's like, yeah, I'm new. Yep, new again. Like, give me a Hershey bar. That, that, was, that was great. Um, we, uh, Tammy and I, many years ago, went to Virginia with our two oldest daughters, Sydney and Maddie. We were like three and one at that time. And we went looking for a church home. So like six months look, looking for a church home. And went from church to church, like every Sunday, sometimes Wednesday nights as well, looking for a church home. And it took a long time for us to find a church home. So if you're like new and you're looking for a church home, like my heart is heavy for you because I know that journey 
is difficult. So on our journey, we visited a bunch of different churches. We, we visited a church that we kind of liked, uh, enjoyed the worship, enjoyed the teaching. And so we like stood in the lobby with the new person look, like we don't know where to go, we don't know what to do, we had our kids with us, and like we don't even know where to drop our kids off, and no one talked to us for several weeks. So it wasn't like one experience, it was several weeks of that experience. Everybody talked to themselves, they were super friendly to each other, but nobody talked to us, and maybe they talked to other new people, but nobody talked to us, so that was a little bit weird for us, so we left. Went to another church, and in that church, they pressured people so much to join. So we went to drop uh, Sydney and Maddie off in their classes. We dropped Sydney off, and the volunteers said, hey, uh, do you want to join today? I said, no, um, we're new, so we're just checking you out. And she said, okay, and signed Sydney in. We went down, signed Maddie in, and that volunteer said, hey, do you want to join today? I said, no, we're new and she said, I know, but do you want to join? I said, no, like, we're new, and I don't even know if I like you yet. So, like, no, I don't want to join your church today. So every experience that we had kind of for the rest of the morning there was feeling that pressure to join church. And, and that just felt so weird to us. And we did something very uncharacteristic for us. So Tammy and I, in the middle of the service, looked at each other and said, like, yeah, this isn't it. This isn't the place. So we went and got our kids and went home. So if you get up in the middle of the service to go to the bathroom or whatever, I'm thinking, oh man, they're leaving. Like they're thinking this is not the place. So, but I get it, I'll be okay. The church that Tammy and I got married in had a horrific split right after we got married. It was not because we got married, <laughs> but right after we got married. One of the first things we came back from our honeymoon was a big church meeting. And there was angry people on both sides. And it was ugly. And that was a bad experience. And again, we were part of church world. And I wondered, like, what do people think that aren't a part of church world that come in and see this? What do they think about that? So, you know, I'd be really curious to hear about your experiences in, in, in church world, some of your bad or maybe some of your weird experiences. And if we could hear some of those experiences, like maybe you'd tell like way worse stories than I've shared this morning, but many of us have had bad experiences at church. And, you know, I wish I could say that Epic is exempt from that, but we're not. There's some people who say their bad experience in church world happened here. Breaks my heart when I hear that. Our volunteers and our staff work really hard to welcome everyone and help anyone who wants to learn the teachings of Jesus to know that, that this is a place where you can learn that and you can grow in your relationship with God or you can explore a relationship with God, but we don't always do that right. You know, sometimes we miss a new person. It breaks my heart when a new person may be missed and hasn't been welcomed well so you think about this, every church is someone's bad church experience. Every church has that experience out there somewhere. And I think that breaks God's heart. And today we're going to learn why some of us have had some of those bad experiences and what God thinks about some of those experiences. And what we're going to learn centers on something that Jesus said about the church in Matthew 16. 
And this statement from Jesus is so profound that whole faith systems have been built on one sentence from Jesus. One statement from Jesus has resulted in whole faith systems being established. And so we're going to explore that a little bit today. And we're going to learn from Matthew. Matthew was one of Jesus' disciples, and he actually recorded his journey with Jesus. And he recorded this encounter with Jesus for us that we could learn from today. And in Matthew 16, Matthew tells us that Jesus one day took his disciples on a field trip. And Jesus was famous for doing that. And he didn't take them to a place that that they thought that he would go, like to the temple in Jerusalem where they could worship God. He didn't take them out into the countryside around the Sea of Galilee so they could minister to people in need. He took them to one of the last places that Jesus' disciples, or really anyone, would think that Jesus would take them. And if you could think right now for just a minute, like, what's the last place I think Jesus would ever take his disciples you're probably not even close to the place that Jesus took his disciples. So Matthew 16 tells us Jesus took his disciples to Caesarea Philippi. Now, if you're not familiar with church history, you're not familiar with what was happening in Caesarea Philippi, it would be so easy to just read over that and not understand what Caesarea Philippi was really like. Caesarea Philippi sat about 25 miles northeast of the Sea of Galilee. And the Sea of Galilee right around there was where Jesus started his ministry, did most of his ministry. And so he takes his disciples on this 25-mile journey up to Caesarea Philippi, which had this really interesting reputation. So, you know, like, we all understand the reputation that Las Vegas has, right? Like, Uh, when you go to Las Vegas, supposedly whatever happens in Las Vegas stays in Las Vegas. Anybody else believe that? Like, yeah, like I'm not so sure that's how that works. Um, Las Vegas has the nickname Sin City. Well, Caesarea Philippi had the nickname the Gates of Hell. Like imagine that on your city marquee, you know, Caesarea Philippi, welcome to the gates of hell. Hey, let's go there on our next family vacation. That would be a lot of fun. So the people in that region worshipped a Greek god named Pan. And their worship centered around a cave in a mountain that sat above that region. So here's that mountain, and there's that cave. And this water that you see here used to come directly out of that cave, And after several earthquakes, it shifted so that the water comes out underneath that cave. Well, people in that area thought that cave was the literal entrance to hell and that pan would go in and out of hell from that specific spot. So they built temples around. You can see some of the evidence of those temples there in that picture. They built temples there to worship pan and other gods And in their worship of Pan, what they thought was they thought Pan was the goat god. He was the god of fertility. He was the god of spring. And so they would try to entice Pan out of his home and get Pan's blessings on their lives and his blessings on their agriculture, their businesses, everything. So they would engage some very grotesque worship of Pan to try to entice him out of his cave. Some of the 
the worship of Pan, Pan involved sexual activity with animals, specifically goats. And then they would sacrifice those animals. And they had this weird thought system. They thought if they threw the sacrifice of that animal into the mouth of the cave, and if the cave swallowed up that sacrifice, then Pan had accepted their offering and things would go well for them. But if that animal was spit out of the mouth of that cave, or they later found that animal and its blood downriver, things would not go well for them. So imagine worship of Pan and what that must have have looked like for them. And then imagine what Jesus' disciples must have thought when Jesus brought them to Caesarea Philippi, the gates of hell. So when they got there, Jesus asked this strange question. He said in Matthew 16, 13, he said, "Uh, who do people say that the son of man is? And he was speaking in third person about himself. And basically he's saying like, Hey, guys, like, who do people say that I am? In verse 14, they replied, said, well, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, others say Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. And if you're new and you're not familiar with who these guys are, John the Baptist was Jesus' cousin, and he had been beheaded uh, shortly before this encounter. And Elijah and Jeremiah, they were prophets of the Old Testament that lived thousands of years prior. And so people thought, you know, um, Jesus must be just some reincarnated dead guy. And they had these weird thoughts about who Jesus really was. And the interesting thing is, like, we still have some interesting thoughts about who Jesus is and who Jesus was. So some people think that, that Jesus was just a good prophet Uh, Nothing more. He was a good teacher, but he never could fulfill the things that the Bible said about him. He couldn't have pulled that stuff off. Some people believe that that Jesus never claimed to to be God. And again, he was just a, a really good religious leader and a good teacher. There's all kinds of thoughts about who Jesus really was. And Jesus didn't correct those wrong opinions. So he didn't say, hey, hey guys, like I'm not John the Baptist. Like you saw us, like we were relatives. Like I'm not John reincarnated. I'm not Elijah. I'm not Jeremiah. Jesus simply asked another question. So he asked him, he said, but who do you say that I am? He he turned it real personal. So like, who do you say I am? And if you know anything about Jesus' disciples, like you can probably guess who's the first person who's going to answer. It's Peter. Peter, the spontaneous, uh, kind of stick your foot in your mouth kind of guy. That's Peter. That's how he responded. We'll see how he responds in just a moment. But if you could like, just imagine that we are there with Jesus on that field trip. We're, we're a part of his disciples. We're listening to all this. We're watching all this. Like our stomachs are turning as we, we see the worship of Pan. Like that's kind of grotesque. And then Jesus asks us some questions. And Jesus turns and says, but, but who do you say that I am? How would you answer that question? Who is Jesus to you? Is he just an old dead guy? Is he a, a good teacher? Is he a, a prophet that lived a long time ago but doesn't really have any Im- impact on your life? Who is Jesus to you? Your answer to that question will affect you forever. So answering it is super important. Peter answered in verse 16. And Peter said, you are the Messiah, 
the son of the living God. So this is a bold statement from Peter. He says, you're the Messiah, which means savior. And he says, you're the son of the living God, making Jesus equal with God the Father. He said, you are God in the flesh. Again, big, bold statement from Peter. And watch how Jesus answers Peter. He says in verse 17, you're blessed, Simon, son of John, because my father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. So Jesus affirmed what Peter said. He affirmed that he is God the Son, that he is equal with God the Father. And sometimes, again, people say, like, Jesus never claimed to be God. Not so. In this passage, he affirmed it. In other passages, he claimed to be God in the flesh. Now, remember where they were, okay? When Jesus asked these questions, they were at the gates of hell. And we don't know if they were standing on top of that mountain range looking down at the worship of Pan below, but it would not surprise me because of how Jesus answers Peter and what he says in verse 18. And it seems like what Jesus is doing is making this huge contrast between Pan. And it's almost like Jesus says a whole lot when he just creates space for people to fill in the blanks when he asked these questions. So it's like, guys, look down at the valley below. Like, do you see all those guys down there? Do you see all those worshipers of Pan? Do you see what they're doing? Do you see what they believe about Pan and how they worship him? They think that is their God. They think that's how to worship their God. And you just answered correctly, Peter. I am the son of God. And I'm sure... All of Jesus' disciples had their, their, their little uh, mousetraps working overtime in their brains, like, okay, this is what our world thinks about worship. This is what our world thinks about how to entice gods out of their home. And Jesus claims to be God in the flesh. Jesus says, I'm going to talk to you about how I build my kingdom, what my kingdom is going to look like in comparison and contrast to Pan and his kingdom. Verse 18, Jesus says, Now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock, and upon this rock I will build my church and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. Now, like I said earlier, whole faith systems have been built on this sentence. They're whole faith systems that believe that Jesus literally built his church on Peter, that Peter is like the founder of Christianity. But is that what Jesus said? Is that what Jesus really meant? So we're going to look a little closer. So again, in verse 18, um, Jesus says, Now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock. And upon this rock I will build my church. Now, when Jesus made this statement, he used the, the word rock twice. Um, but the Greek words that were translated into English... Uh, didn't get that full translation. So there are actually two different Greek words being used here. So uh, the first word is petros, which means stone or small rock. The second word is petra, which means large rock or cliff. So basically, this is what Jesus was saying. Now I say to you that you are Peter, your small rock, 
and upon this large rock, I will build my church. So the large rock that Jesus was talking about was Peter's statement, his statement of who he is, that he is the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus said he would build his church on that foundation. And he would use little rocks like Peter, like the other disciples, like you, if you're a follower of Jesus today, like me, to help build his church. And I think understanding that should shape what churches look like today and how churches should engage the world around us. Now let's listen again to what Jesus said. He said, now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock, and upon this rock I will build my church. So in this statement, Jesus gives his top priority in the world. So God's top priority in the world is to build his church. That's the number one thing that he's focused on. So like, what do you think God thinks about when he wakes up in the morning and he starts thinking about his day? Let me just be clear. God doesn't sleep, okay? So he doesn't wake up, but just follow me for, for just a minute. So when God wakes up and he starts thinking about his day, what he's going to do that day, what's he thinking about? The church, building the church. When God uh, goes to bed at night, again, God doesn't go to bed at night, but when God you know, goes to bed at night and thinks about what he's accomplished all day long, what does he think about? He thinks about the church. When God has a planning day and he sees it on his calendar and says, I'm going to go plan for the future of, of you know, this business that I'm involved in, and he starts whiteboarding things, and again, God doesn't do any of that stuff, but just, you know, if he were to ever do that, what's God whiteboarding about? What's God making plans about? The church. Building the church is God's number one priority in the world. So when we think church, like, do you think God wants people to have good experiences in his church? Like, I think so. Do you think God wants religious leaders to make it hard for, for people who are trying to find their way to God? I don't think so. Do you think God wants his church to attack the world or engage the world? I think he wants us to engage the world. And, and do you think God wants his followers active in helping to build his church, his number one priority in the world? I think he does. So over the next few weeks, we're going to explore this. We're going to explore how God is building his church. We're going to explore who the church is really for. And then we're going to look at the mission that God has given the church. But we're first today, we're going to answer the question, what is the church? Like, what is the church? And then we're going to look at something very interesting that Jesus said about the church. Now, when it comes to defining church, we all have this basic definition that we work off of, and it comes from an interesting translation of this word in our English translations for church. So the word church, when you're reading an English translation, the word church, especially in this context, comes from the German word kirch, which means house of the Lord or temple. So when many of us think about church, we think about a building, we think about a location. And maybe you got up this morning and asked your spouse, hey, do you want to go to church today? Uh, or you told someone, hey, I'm going to church. So that's how often, uh, that's what we think about when we often think about the word church. Now, churches do have buildings, 
And prayerfully, one day we'll have a building of our own that we're all excited about, right? Yeah, we're excited about that. But that's not what Jesus was talking about. So the word that Jesus used in that phrase was this word. He used the word ecclesia. And ecclesia was not a religious term. It was a really common term in that day. And ecclesia basically means this, a group of people gathered for a specific purpose. So Jesus says, listen, I'm going to build my ecclesia. I'm going to build my group of people who are gathered for my specific purposes in the world. So if you're a Christ follower today, you are a part of Jesus' ecclesia, his gathering of followers who are gathered for his purposes. So when we think church, we shouldn't think building. We should think a group of Christ followers gathered for Christ's purposes. That's why I think it's so important for us to gather as a church family. It's so important because we together are Christ's ecclesia. And together, we can help accomplish the mission that God has given us as a church. We'll talk more about that mission in the next few weeks. But I want to point out something else that Jesus said in verse 18. And it should shape our perception of church and how we engage the world around us. So again, verse 18. Jesus said, now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock. And upon this rock, I will build my church and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. The English Standard Version of the Bible translates that verse like this. It says, and I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Again, remember where they are. Remember what questions that Jesus asked. Remember the context of Caesarea Philippi. And back in that day, gates were a really big deal. A gate in a kingdom or gates in a kingdom meant safety if those gates were strong. If those gates were strong, they would prevent enemies from getting inside that kingdom and killing everybody in that kingdom. If your gates were weak, things probably would not go well for you in that kingdom. So again, gates were a really big deal, but notice what Jesus said about the gates of hell. He said, the gates of hell will not prevail or be able to stand against God's ecclesia, his gathering of followers, when we are fulfilling his purposes. So just let that sink in for a moment. So often, we think Satan and his influences over the world are more powerful than God and his kingdom. Kind of like God's kingdom is on defense and Satan's kingdom is on offense, and we aren't gonna be able to stand up against the power of Satan and his kingdom and the influences around the world. But that's not what Jesus said. He said the kingdom of hell will be on defense and won't be able to stand up against his followers who are on offense. So if you're a Christ follower, are you on offense or defense when it comes to your faith? And I didn't ask, is your faith offensive? That's a whole other sermon, okay? Now, we'll come back to that in a minute. But imagine what Jesus' disciples must have thought as they were listening to Jesus teach. 
I wonder if they looked down at that crazy, demonic, sexualized worship of Pan and asked, like, like Jesus, like, are we going to charge the gates of hell tonight? Because that's a little scary. Like, again, remember where they were. And I think some of Jesus' followers were pretty excited, like Peter probably was. James and John, they probably were. They were probably like, give me a sword, Jesus. Let's run down there and, you know, end this crazy worship of Pan. And other disciples might have thought, like, hey, we're fishermen. Like, we don't even know how to use swords. And Peter only cuts, you know, people's ears off. So, like, this is not going to go well for us. So there are a lot of mixed emotions, I think, that Jesus' disciples had in this moment as they're listening to Jesus and wondering, like, what does Jesus mean by this? Well, many of us are still unsure of what Jesus meant and how some Christians have reacted to this statement that Jesus made in verse 18 has created some bad experiences that people have in church world and people have with Christians. So some Christians think that Jesus wants us to run into the world and slash people with God's truth. They think that if we go out and tell people, you need to repent or you're going to burn in hell, it's going to get people to soften their heart and turn to God for repentance. Now, are those things true statements? Yes, they are. But often the delivery and the presentation is what pushes people away from a God who desperately loves them and desperately wants them a part of his family of followers. If you aren't a Christ follower today, whether you're here on campus or you're joining us online and you're just kind of exploring, like maybe the reason you haven't decided to become a Christ follower is because you came across too many angry Christians in your life. Other Christians think that Jesus wants us to tiptoe around every hot topic in our culture because like, he would never want us to offend anyone. So these Christians hope that people will hear the truth of God, but they have no plans to engage spiritual conversations. They have no plans to, to have conversations with people that might challenge them, that might stretch them, that might pull them out of their comfort zone and get them into kind of a, a messy conversation where they may not have all the answers, but they, they want to work, work their way towards truth and help themselves and help other people find that truth. And these people shy away from opportunities to share their faith and avoid speaking the truth and love to people around them. So is that what Jesus meant? Did he mean for us to run into the world slashing people with truth? Or did he mean for us to avoid people because we're too afraid to acknowledge truth? I don't think Jesus meant any, either of those things. So how are Christ followers supposed to be on offense without being offensive? Anybody curious about the answer to that? The answer to this question is so incredibly important to God because we as followers represent God to the world. And again, remember, God's number one priority in the world is building his church. So our answer to this question is super important. And if you're interested in the answer to this question, I hope you'll come back because we're out of time. And this is part one of a four-part series. So we will continue to explore this together over the next few weeks. But as we close, I have three questions for you to process. First question is this. Who is Jesus to you? 
most profound question we can ever answer. Who is Jesus to you? Is he an old dead guy? Is he a religious leader that uh, religious figures kind of created to keep us in line, but he's not really real? Is he the Messiah? Is he your Messiah? If you're curious about Jesus, uh, who he was, who he is, the impact that he's had on the world, the impact that he can have on your life, I recommend this book to you. It's called, Who Is This Man? Written by John Ortberg. An amazing book that can help you understand the influence that one man has had on the world. And it's an amazing influence. And it would be a great book. If, if you're you know, curious about faith, even if you're skeptical about faith, it'd be a great book uh, for you to read and understand the influence that Jesus has had on the world, the influence that Jesus could have on your life as well. My second question is this. If you're skeptical of church or faith, are you willing to let a bad church experience keep you from God who loves you deeply? Like, again, I think that breaks God's heart when his followers don't represent him well to the world. So will you let a bad church experience keep you from the God who loves you deeply and never wanted you to experience those things? I hope you won't. I hope you'll step forward. I hope you'll keep coming back uh, in this series to learn more of what God thinks about the church. Last question. If you're a Christ follower, is your faith on offense or is your faith offensive? Is your faith on offense? Are you on offense, like when, when you go to work, when you're at school, like are you thinking like how can I engage all these conversations that people are having around me about faith and these, these hot topics in our culture? How can I engage these conversations and help all of us move towards Jesus? Or is your faith offensive? Do you walk in and slash people? Do you, do you leave people going like, mm, wow, that was a bad experience with that person? Like that person just push me farther from, from God. So is your faith on offense or is it offensive? So I encourage you during our closing song to just process these questions. Like grab one of those questions that applies to you. Just process it today in the context of this song and then throughout the week, come back to that question again and keep letting that kind of marinate in your mind and in your life. All right, let's pray, and then we'll sing a closing song together. God, thank you for the church. Lord, thank you for the priority that you make in your ecclesia, your gathering of Christ followers. And Lord, so many of us have a wrong perspective of church. We have a wrong definition in our mind, and, and many people have had bad experiences in church world, something I think that breaks your heart. So Lord, as your followers, you want us to be active in building your church and representing your church well to the world around us. So Lord, I pray that today and in this series, we would learn how to do that. Lord, we would display a church before our world and our community that would be so beautiful that people couldn't help but being a part of it. So Lord, thank you for your love for us. Thank you for drawing us to you. 
Thank you for building your church on the foundation that you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Thank you for being the cornerstone that we can build our lives on. In Jesus' name, we pray this. Amen.